0: Good morning everyone. It's so good to see everybody here in the auditorium. Good morning to everybody over in the venue and if you're watching online with us this morning, good morning. It is so good to be with you guys all together. So my name is Jordan and I'm one of the pastors here at E-Free and I'm excited to can, to pick back up our series in 1st Peter. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the unfading beauty in marriage. Now, I love marriage. My wife, Abby, and I have been married for 10 years, and it's been an an, an incredible, exciting time. I was going to make up some words, but incredible, exciting time. That's how great marriage has been. It makes up new words. So I'm so thankful for Abby that having somebody who's there to encourage, support me through the ups and downs of life, to be in my corner, who knows my greatest weaknesses, but also my greatest strengths who can remind me of God's goodness in, times of, in difficult times. I'm so thankful for her. So outside of my salvation through Jesus, Abby is the greatest gift that God has given me. But there are some difficult moments in marriage. There are some difficult times in marriage. And I think most of these difficulties, they come from having two people who are both sinful people that have their own interests their own desires their own wants their own preferences And you take those two people and you try to put them together and share a life and it can be difficult at times there's moments where there's interests interlock there's preferences interlock and it's great there's other times when you have different preferences so I'm a keeper I think the technical term for it is called hoarding but I I'm a keeper so I don't want to get rid of stuff my wife is a thrower. She wants to get rid of it. If it doesn't have a purpose or it doesn't have a reason to have it, she wants to get rid of it. And I see people talking to each other. Saying, There's, I'm not alone in that. I think we have these differences. But here's what happens. Two months ago, our blender breaks. And we buy the same blender. So I think we should throw away the broken piece and keep all the other pieces in case our new blender breaks. We can fix it. And my wife thinks, why in the world would we put broken blender parts down in our basement and keep them for possibly four years? Because the last blender went for four years and it was 30 bucks. So like we got our $30 worth out of it. Let's just throw it away. And so there's a disagreement that occurs. And so what do we do in marriage when we have these disagreements? What do we do? Because we don't want just marriage to be arguments. So what do we do? Well, the first thing that I've learned is that marriage, is not about me getting my way. Marriage is not about me getting what I want, but marriage is a gift from God, and it's a gift to increase my holiness, that God uses marriage in a powerful way to mold and shape me, that God has used Abby to make me a better person, to make me a better man, to make me a better follower of Christ and a better pastor, that I am who I am today in part because of my wife, that God has used her in some incredible ways to help me become more full in my following of Jesus. Now, before we launch in the message today, I want to talk really quickly to singles. Because I know there's some men and women, some maybe teenagers, that you're like, marriage is a long way away from me. And what do I do? What do we do in that situation? Or maybe you just think, hey, I don't need to listen to this. This is for married people. I'm going to check out. I'm going to get on my phone, and I'm going to play Candy Crush or check email. Like, I don't need this. Would you please stay engaged? Would you please, please stay engaged this morning for two reasons? One, is you never know when God's going to bring someone into your life that you go, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. That it might happen tomorrow. Now, if you're in high school, probably not. But it's still, this is helpful for you. You need this. But if you're not in high school and you're just like, I'm in college, I don't think it's going to be a long time for me, you never know. But the second reason is there's some people in here that you go, I have the gift of singleness. That I know this is uh, what God set me apart for and I'm okay with that. That I'm okay with uh, what God's called me to I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you're part of our church, that you make our church better. Thank you for being here. But a lot of times, even if you say, I have this gift of singleness so or I'm called to be single, that you have married friends. or you in a life group where there's a married couple? And maybe this argument over this broken blender comes up and you can point to the unfading beauty in marriage and you can be the voice that God uses to remind them of, uh, of the unfading beauty in marriage. So, Please stay connected this morning to see what Peter has to tell us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would use it in a powerful way this morning in the hearts and the lives of all those that listen. God, I pray for those um, that are married. God, I pray that you would strengthen their marriages. God, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would help them as they listen this morning, that it would be a powerful in their heart and their life. And God, I pray for those... um, God, that are, are wanting to be married and aren't, God, I pray that they would see in Jesus all that they, they long for. They would find in their relationship with him uh, what they need most. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be concise, and you would help me to be clear this morning. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So the easiest way to get there, I think, is to put your Bible face down and then to slowly flip through Revelation and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and then you get to 1st, 2nd Peter. If you get to Hebrews, you went a little bit too far. You just gotta go back to the right and you'll find 1st Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Give you a few seconds to turn there and then we'll read all these verses together. So this is what Peter says to wives and husbands. He says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as an, as elaborate hairstyles, and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear." Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and that as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So as I was reading that, there's probably some in this room and some in the venue and some online that the hair on the back of your neck begin to stand up. Some that does not begin to form in the pit of your stomach or your fight or flight reaction was triggered and you wanted to stand up and begin to yell or you just wanted to run out of this room or you wanted to pull out your phone and you just said, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. I don't want to be a part of these verses. I don't want anything to do with this because the reality is there's been far too many women, far too many grandmothers and mothers and aunts and sisters and cousins and friends and maybe some of you in this room who have been mistreated or abused because someone misinterpreted and misapplied and twisted these verses to crown husbands as kings and to make them kings at the expense of their wives and to push down their wives into being some sort of servant. And if that's happened to you or happened to someone that you know, I am sorry. I am sorry, that I do not believe that that is the proper interpretation of these verses, that is the proper application of these verses, that I think that what Peter is calling wives to be and to do and what Peter is calling husbands to be and to do is completely different. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to get to what is it that Peter is calling husbands to be and what it is that he is calling wives to be. And there is a responsibility that Peter is placing on the husbands. But I wanna frame that responsibility because too often it gets taken and they get, they get crowned kings. And that is not the case. And so let me give you a different example from my, my childhood. This is not a marriage example. So there are times when, uh, so I have two younger siblings and there'd be times when my dad would be at work and my mom would leave. And she would say, Jordan, you are responsible for your brother and your sister, that I was responsible to serve and to care for and to help them follow the guidelines and the principles and the values and the instructions and the rules that my mom and dad had set forth in the house. And so when I was given that responsibility to lead, I was not given that responsibility to become a king when my mom or dad was gone and do whatever I wanted, but said I was given that responsibility to serve and to care for my brother and my sister and to lead them and guide them in following the guidelines and instructions and values that my parents had set out. Now the reality is that my parents didn't just pull those values or those instructions or rules out of thin air, but instead they received them from God that they read and studied the Bible and they, they listened to good teaching as it was um, unpacked for them. They said, these are the values, these are the instructions, these are the principles, these are the guidelines that we want to shape and mold our family around. And God gave those because he's the ultimate leader of every home. And as the ultimate leader, he has then turned to husbands and said, you are responsible for what happens in your home. Then he gives wives another role that we'll get to later on. But husbands are not given free reign to make up rules as they see fit, but instead they are taking the values and the principles alongside their wife and they are forming the values and principles of their home. So let me show you in Genesis where I see this responsibility taking place and where God holds someone responsible. He holds a husband responsible for something that happened in his family. So in Genesis 1, we have God creating everything that it's awesome and amazing. Everything he creates is good and it's great and it's fantastic. Then he creates the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he places them in a the garden and it's amazing. And he gives them one rule. They have one rule on the entire planet and it's there's one tree they can't eat from. They can eat from any other tree on the entire planet, but there's one tree they can't eat from. And then God has an enemy named Satan and he enters into the garden. He begins to try and convince Adam and Eve that this tree is actually good for them. And then what God is doing is actually evil and he's holding out on them and he's trying to prevent them from getting something good that's found in this tree. So in Genesis 3, verses six through nine, you don't have to turn there now, it'll be up on the screen. He says this. says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So Eve has been listening to the snake, listening to Satan. She decides, okay, he's right. This food is good to eat. So she reaches out, she grabs some, she eats it. And then what does she do? She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So Adam and Eve are standing side by side. They're both hearing from Satan about how this tree is good for them and God's holding out on them. And Eve begins to be convinced, and so she begins to reach out. And Adam should say, hey, wait a minute hey, wait a minute, this is not the value that God gave us. This is not the instruction or the rule or the guideline that God gave us. We need to go down this path. So we should turn away from this tree. We should run and go down that path because this is the direction that God is calling us. But instead, he stands and he watches to see what happens. And Eve grabs it and she eats it and then she hands it to him and he goes, she didn't die, so why not? And then he takes a bite. Then it says in verse seven, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you? So Eve is the first one to break friendship with God she's the first one to break the relationship she's the one that takes the fruit first but she's not the one that God calls he doesn't say Eve where are you he says Adam where are you Adam what were you doing while your family was running away from me Adam what were you doing when your family was turning their back on me what were you where were you where are you Adam and so husbands, what we need to know is that we are going to be called to account first for what happens in our families. Now let me be clear. There are times when moms and dads, husbands and wives, they do the best they possibly can do and their kids do not go the direction they want. That so they do the best they possibly can do and they, their kids make a different decision than they want or their spouse makes a different decision than they want. I do not think that God's going to hold you accountable for a decision that your son or your daughter makes. But the question is, is, are we doing our best to love and to serve and to lead and following the guidelines, principles, values that God has given to us for our families? So now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, and we'll look at what Peter has to say to husbands. So verse 7, he says, Husbands... In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. So he says, okay, guys, this is what I want you to do. Because you love Jesus, because you follow him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be considerate as you live with your wife. I want you to put consideration, thought, and effort into how you interact with your wife. The way that you talk to her. The tone that you use. The word choices that you use, your body language, does it convey love? Does it convey respect? Does it re- convey trust and care? Does it convey those things? Or are you not being considerate? Are you saying, I'm going to talk whoever I want to talk? And her reaction is on her. Because Peter is calling us to be considerate. To put thought and effort in how we interact with our, li- our wives. And then he says... And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. So when he says weaker partner, I think he's only talking about physical strength. And I know that not every single relationship that the wife is weaker than the husband, that there are wives who do CrossFit and they're stronger than their husbands. But in general, in general, husbands are physically stronger than their wives. And he's saying, do not use your physical strength to your advantage, but instead, I want you to respect your wife i want you to treat her with respect so again does the tone of voice that you use when you talk to your wife does it convey respect do the word choices you use does it convey respect does your body language does the, your your attitude convey that you respect your wife he's saying as someone who loves and cherishes jesus i want you to love and cherish your wife i want you to respect your wife Then he goes on, he says, "'As heirs with you of the gracious gift of life.'" He says, "'Husbands, do you realize "'that your wife is a co-heir with you, "'that your wife is also inheriting eternal life, "'that your wife is also receiving the Holy Spirit? "'Do you realize that your wife is a co-heir with you, "'that she is an equal? "'She's not less than. "'She is equal with you in the inheritance.'" That at this time, husbands received more of the inheritance in worldly things than the wives did. That at this time, husbands got everything and wives and children were property. And Peter is saying, not in your home. That is not how your home works. In your home, you are an equal with your wife. In your home, you are co-heirs together of the gracious gift of eternal life. So we have to ask ourselves husbands do we see our wives as equal or do we see them as less than and this is what he says he says so that nothing will hinder your prayers he says if we don't get this right husbands if we don't live with our wives in a considerate respectful loving way where we see them as equals he says it's going to hinder our relationship with God is going to affect how we interact with God. It's going to affect our prayers. It's going to affect our conversation with God. And she says, this is important. Don't miss this. Don't think that how you treat your wife doesn't matter. He says, husbands, it matters the way that you talk to, the way that you interact with, the way that you treat your wife. So he says, this is what I want from you, husbands. So what we see from all of this is that husbands are empowered to be servant leaders, not sovereign kings. Husbands, we are empowered to be servant leaders, to serve and love our wives, to care for them, to lay down our lives and our interests and what we want most so that we can serve and care for them. Which means I didn't tell you at the beginning, but as I've been practicing this, I realized my wife is right and we're gonna throw away the blender. Like we don't need to keep a blender. I think that's that's an amen I think that's what that was so I want to serve my wife I am not a sovereign king I do not get everything that I want in my home my wife does not exist to give me all that I need or want my wife is there so I can serve her and care for her so I don't walk around my home going this is my kingdom and I will get what I want and everyone here is here to serve me or I'm the husband, so you have to do this or this, that if I think that way, I've gone into sovereign king mode and I've missed my role. I've missed what God's calling me to do and I've missed the picture that I get to reflect to my kids of who I am and what God wants for us. And so husbands are empowered to be servant leaders, not sovereign kings. And so husbands, if you've been viewing yourself as a king, Please repent. Please go to God and say, God, I am sorry that I have taken the responsibility you've given me and I've turned it into a reign or into a kingdom, that there is only one king and it's Jesus. So now let's go back up and see what the role wives are called to. So in verse 1, Peter says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, So a couple of things. So one, he says own husbands. He didn't say everyone's husband. He says your husband. He says there's only one person that you submit to and that's your husband and God. Sorry, God, two people, God, your husband. But then what is this submit idea? What does he mean by submit? I think he means that it's encouraging your husband. It's partnering with your husband. It's supporting your husband. It's helping your husband. It's coming alongside and saying, I am here to help and to support and encourage you as you lead our family because you're responsible for what happens. But I'm also here to voice my opinion. I'm also here to voice what I think God wants done in our family because I also have the Holy Spirit. I also can read and understand the Bible. And so I believe that it's not just husbands who read and understand. It's not just husbands who have the Holy Spirit. It's husbands and wives. And so wives, you can say, this is what I think God's calling us to do. This is what I think God is calling us and wants for us. But it's not demanding. It's not saying this is what we need to do, or this is what we have to do, or this is what we better do. It's this is what I think God wants for us. And it's coming alongside and partnering with and encouraging and supporting. So two things with this. One is you do not have to follow your husband into sin. And you do not follow him down that path. That if he's trying to lead you down a path that is toward sin, then you have to say, I had to follow Jesus. That that's the path that I'm walking down, that's the path I have to go down. I can't follow you down this path. That you do not have to follow your husband down a path that leads to sin because you follow Christ. But you look for ways where you can can encourage him. You look for ways that you can support him. You look for ways you can come alongside of him. The second thing is that what happens is he says, back to the text, he says, if so that, If any of them, then being husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Peter is saying there are some husbands who are going to see the faith and the purity and the love inside of their wives as they are supported and encouraged and come alongside and partnered with. And they go, I want what she has and they're gonna to come to trust and believe, not because they heard an incredible sermon or incredible message, but because they saw the message lived out in your life. But this is not a license for a non-Christian and a Christian to get married. What this is, is that there were two non-Christians or two unbelievers, and they were married, and then the wife came to trust and to believe in Jesus, and she said, she's saying to Peter, what do I do? Because my husband's not wanting to follow Christ, so what do I do? And Peter's saying, continue to encourage and help and support and come alongside and partner with your husband in the areas that you can. And as you do that, he's going to see the reverence, the joy, the peace, the patience inside of you. And as he sees that, some of them, not all, but some of them are going to come to trust and believe. And so in all this, what we see is that wives are empowered to be trusted counselors, not silent servants that wives are empowered to be trusted counselors, that they come alongside and they give good and wise counsel to their husbands. There are times when my wife has better ideas than I have, because my wife is smarter than me. And so there are times that I go, yes, we need to do what you say, or what you're suggesting, because that's the right path to take. And it's wise of me as a leader to listen And to take that into account and go, if your idea is better than my idea, we should take your idea. So wives are empowered to be trusted counselors, not silent servants. You're not called to be silent. You're not called to just serve. You're called to encourage, to help, to partner with, to come alongside. But know that your husband's going to be held responsible for what happens. Go back to 1 Peter, verse 3 through 4. He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyle and the wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, the sad thing is that these verses have far too often been used to tell ladies that they can't do their hair and they can't wear nice clothes and they can't wear jewelry, and that's not at all what Peter's trying to say. What Peter is trying to say is important not just for wives, but also for husbands, not just for married people, but also for unmarried people. It's important for all of us because his point is, do not focus on your outward appearance at the expense of your inward character. That his whole point is, our inward character is where we should put our focus, our inward holiness is where we should strive to grow. Our inward holiness is what we should strive to develop and then secondarily focus on our outward appearance. he're saying, don't put all of your effort into your outward appearance, whether that's clothing or hair or jewelry, and neglect your heart. And so throughout these, these messages, Adrian has been coming up with this phrase, the heart of holiness is the heart. And this is what Peter is hammering again. It's just our heart is what matters. And that's true whether you're the husband or the wife. It's true whether you're married or unmarried. Our heart is what matters. Our heart is what's most important, that we want to focus on that. We want to see that developed. We want to see that grow. We want to see that become more like Christ. And then secondarily, have nice hair. Secondarily, wear nice clothes. Secondarily, put on jewelry. And again, in 2020, that's true of whether you're a guy or a gal. And so let's focus on our hearts, not just our outward appearance. And there's one other thing I want to say about these verses. In verse four, he says, rather it should be that of your inner self, which we just talked about, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. When he says quiet spirit, I don't think he's meaning you have to be quiet. I don't think he means you have to be really whisper. That's not what he means. I think what he means is that you have a calm demeanor that there is a blessing. When you go into someone's home and the husband and the wife, they have a gentle, calm demeanor. When you go into the home, you you feel at peace. And you feel safe because you know if I wear my shoes someplace I'm not supposed to wear them, they're not gonna rip the carpet out from under me. They go, what are you doing? Or if I spill my milk on the table, they're not gonna flip over the table and go, we gotta throw this table away. But instead, when you're in someone's home and you know, if I make a mistake, it's gonna be responded with gentleness and calmness, it's a blessing. That you've been in homes where there's gentle, calm people and you go, this is a blessing. There's something beautiful about this home. And when a husband and a wife both have this demeanor, it is a gift to their family. It is a refuge from a world that's in chaos so much of the time. And so I want this gentle, calm demeanor to be developed in me. I want this inner inner character to be developed in me as well. So let's talk about the unfading beauty in marriage. So there's this unfading beauty in marriage that's most visible when you have a servant leader and a trusted counselor and they're working together to grow in holiness and to make disciples. When you have these two people, this husband and a wife and they're working together as a role of a servant leader and as a role of a trusted counselor and are working together to grow in holiness. That they want to see each other grow to become the best disciples, the best Christ followers they can possibly be. And to have someone you know that loves you, that cares about you, that when they say, hey Jordan, I see this thing in you that it's not like Jesus. It's so much easier to take from someone that I know that loves me and actually sees that. Actually knows that in me because they're around me all the time. And there's no way to get away from it and say, well, you just don't really know. Because Been with me for 10 years, you know. So it's a gift. And when you have both a husband and a wife, a servant leader and a trusted counselor, that their greatest desire is to reflect Christ and to grow in holiness and to make disciples, it is a beautiful thing. And it doesn't fade away. It just gets better and better and better as the years go on. And it's a legacy It's a gift that they pass on to their children and their children's children. And it is an incredible, incredible gift. So Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 through 12, it talks about how two are better than one. And we see this sometimes. We see this sometimes in weddings, these verses read. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So you have two people that they love Jesus, and their goal is to make him famous. Their goal is to help other people come to see the beauty, the wonder, the incredible truth that he would die on a cross for them and for their neighbors, for them and the people around them, that when people see this and they bring these two people together, it is an incredible gift. And our world desperately needs more of that. It needs more husbands who want to be servant leaders, not sovereign kings. It needs more wives who want to be trusted counselors, not silent servants. And as they work together, they display this unfading beauty that will not disappear because it's an inner beauty, not an outward appearance, but it is an inner beauty that people see as they spend time around them. Because far too often what people hear or what people see in marriage is blender fights. It's he doesn't want to get rid of the blender and she wants to make me throw away the blender. Like that's far too often what people boil marriage down to. Instead of this beautiful picture of a husband and a wife serving and loving and caring and partnering with each other to make disciples, to encourage each other in growth and faith in Jesus Christ. So as we close, here's what I would ask of you. I have one question for a husband to ask a wife and one question for a wife to ask a husband what I would ask is that you would take 30 minutes this afternoon and you would sit down together and you would ask each other this question so husbands would you ask your wives would you say how can I serve you and be more considerate towards you the how can I serve you that I want to be a servant leader in our home I want to serve you I don't want you just to be here to serve me I want to serve you how can I serve you And then how can I be more considerate towards you? Is there something that I've been saying or doing that has not been considerate? That I, And then husbands, it's really hard, but what, what your wife says, don't try to defend yourself. Because you wanna defend yourself and say, well, I have been doing that, but I would argue that if you had been doing it the way that she wants it to be done, she wouldn't be asking you to do it, which is really hard for us. And so just listen. And then wives, ask the question after you've had your chance. Wives, ask the question, how can I encourage and support you? That how is it that I can encourage and support you? That as you lead, as you work out the principles and the guidelines and the values and the rules that God has for our family. And I get to partner with you in that. And I want to partner by encouraging and supporting you. How, how do I do that? What is it that I can do to do that with you? Because, as someone who has a wife who encourages him and supports him and is in his corner, it is an incredible gift. And it makes you feel like you can climb mountains and it makes you feel like you can do all those things that if I was by myself, I would say, I can't do it. But having someone believe in you is an incredible, incredible gift. So wives, would you ask your husband, how can I encourage and support you? Would you pray with me? Father God, we need you. That these are not easy roles. These are not easy callings, but God, they are good. And God, I pray and I ask that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live these out in our homes, for our families, for our neighbors to see. God, you would help us make disciples of our children if we have them. But if not our children, of people here in the church, of our neighbors, of our coworkers, God, that you would help us to encourage one another in growing in faith, growing in holiness, and making disciples, that we are partnered together, we are brought together to make a difference. So God, would you help us? God, because we need you in this. That left on our own, we're gonna fail. So God, would you make the Holy Spirit strong inside of us as we become servant leaders, and as we become trusted counselors. God, we love you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.